Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. diamond. Experience! And welcome to episode number 22 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast for Monday, August 18th, 2014. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and hopefully this podcast brings you some sort of entertainment on your Monday or whenever you may be listening. Unfortunately, I have to open the show on a sad note because one week ago today, actor and comedian Robin Williams passed away of a suicide And when I first heard the news, I thought it was one of those celebrity hoaxes that happen every now and then. But as the news started coming out more and more, it was quite obvious that it was not a hoax. And this is one of the more shocking deaths uh, in Hollywood fame. But I haven't seen this much outpouring of emotion from not only other celebrities, but fans as well, because he was one of those guys that you thought would be around forever. And he just, he touched so many people with his humor and his comedy, and he just seemed like such a great, genuine person. And it's it's a shame that he took his own life, and you know, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna judge him for it because we don't know the real circumstances behind it, but it's just a shame. It's a real, real shame. And like I said, it's, it's crazy to hear how much joy he brought people from so many different roles. I mean, you've got Good Morning Vietnam, Mrs. Doubtfire, Mork and Mindy. Uh, the thing I most remember him for was being the voice of the genie from my personal favorite Disney movie, Aladdin. And that's probably where a lot of people my age know him from. There's also uh, Flubber, funny enough. That's one of the first movies I think of when I think of Robin Williams, but... My thoughts and prayers go out to his family. I know they're obviously still dealing with this. So uh, rest in peace, Robin Williams. You brought so you brought so much joy to so many people. And moving on to other things, uh, as far as stuff that's going on with me, we just wrapped up a ten game homestand that was one of the most brutal things that. I've done this season. It, we had one back in May, but this one was much worse, I guess just because it's August and everyone's burnt out and ready for the season to end. But we have five games left, and it's still kind of crazy to think about. Other than that, um, I will be seeing the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie today, so next week I'll have a review of it. It's still the number one movie in America, surprisingly, even though reviews for it have not been very kind. I'm just going to go in with really low expectations, and hopefully I won't be extremely disappointed by it, but I'm not expecting it to be great by any stretch. And also this week I'll be doing some more interviews that will air over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Next week's we'll have a girl by the name of Carrie Hunter who works for our local news station, WEAR Channel 3, and also does a lot of uh, film projects. She's the one that actually organized the filmmakers meet and greet that I've brought up several times uh, that happened back in January where I've met so many great contacts. So it'll be nice to have her on the show because she's very nice, very intelligent when it comes to this kind of stuff. So that's going to be really fun. 
And also, I'll be interviewing, I believe, the only main cast member of The Actor Factor that I haven't talked to yet. Uh, Her name is Lisa Johns. She's also done voice work and other film work as well, so that'll be a fun conversation as well. And the last thing I'll mention before I introduce our guest this week is you should definitely tune in to the Nerd Cave podcast this week. It will be out uh, tomorrow or Tuesday, and uh, it will have an interview that my friend and co-host Zach Dykes did with a comedy sketch group called Anti-Donna. I'm not very familiar with them, but Zach has said nothing but great things about them. And uh, he got to interview them this past weekend, and part of that interview will be on the podcast, but the full interview will be on the YouTube channel on Tuesday. And just go to YouTube and search for the Nerd Cave podcast, and you'll be able to find it. All our stuff is really easy to find. So definitely check that out. I know I personally am looking forward to it very much. And moving on to our guest this week, this is someone that I met through one of my previous guests, Matt Doring. Uh, Her name is Sarah Talmadge. She's an artist who worked with Matt at Disney Interactive, and he actually recommended that I reach out to her and get her on the show, which I'm very glad I did because she was really cool, really nice. Uh, The cool thing about her is we got to talk about uh, her growing up in Japan. She actually lived in Japan until she was 18 before coming over to the United States for college. So I got to learn a lot about the Japanese culture, the differences between Japanese and American culture. Uh, Talked about college, obviously, her career at Disney Interactive, what she's doing now, and also some anime and manga stuff. So all you fans of uh, Japanese animation and comics will enjoy this conversation. So sit back and enjoy this nice conversation I had with artist Sarah Talmadge. And we're back on the Derek Diamond Experience with my special guest this week, artist Sarah Talmadge. Sarah, how's it going tonight? It's going well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I, I'm, I'm staying up a little bit late to, to do this, but uh, like we were talking about off the air, I'm a little bit of a night owl, so it's, <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. You're, you're actually, you're coming to us from Oregon, right? Yes, I am. Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest. And ha- how is that compared to, like, I don't, I don't know how familiar, familiar you are with the, the East Coast, but uh, what's, what are the comparisons between like living on the West Coast or the East Coast? So I really went corner to corner in the U.S. I went to school in Savannah, Georgia, which is pretty, pretty far south, mm-hmm. southeast. And then I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina after that. And, that was, and then after that was when I moved to Oregon. So I've experienced a little bit of the East Coast and some of the West Coast. Um, the weather, mostly. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of gray, a lot of rain up in Oregon. Um, right now it's the summertime, so it's beautiful. It's actually pretty hot. Um, and you can't really complain there. But the weather is pretty different. Um, we don't see a lot of sunshine most of the year, nine months out of the 12, really. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but um, it, overall, I think it's just a little more relaxed um, on the West Coast, at least from what I've seen. Um, I've been in Washington state a lot too. So it feels just a little more laid back, a little more casual. Um, there's not quite the same amount of history, uh, let's say like, um, Georgia would have, but Mm -hmm. 
I love it. I mean, the people are great. Well, the people are great everywhere, but it's, I mean, it's a really great place to live. People are all like into the uh, organic local movement here. Um, Mm -hmm. Living here is kind of like, I'm I'm about two hours away from Portland. So it really is like living in an episode of Portlandia. It's pretty funny that way. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I've, I've never been to the West coast, but Everyone I've talked to that's either been or has lived in the West Coast for any amount of time says pretty much exactly what you just said. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty great. I hear that it's pretty, I think Oregon and Washington are pretty similar. I hear it's pretty different in California, depending on where you are. Um, I've actually never really been to California, so I don't really know. But I hear it's a pretty great great coast. Yeah, yeah, I've heard pretty much the same thing. But you actually, uh, you were born and you grew up in Japan, right? Yes, uh, that is correct. Um, so I was born and raised in Japan and it moved to the U.S. until I was 18. Oh, well, I had no idea you lived there for that long. <laughs> Most people don't when they hear me talking. Um, I have a very American accent. But um, full disclosure, my dad is American, so I grew up speaking English. So oh, okay. I would like to pretend like I'm some super genius who just, you know, start speaking English fluently in the last eight years that I was here. But that <laughs> is not actually the truth. So where in Japan uh, did you grow up? I grew up in Yokohama. So it's about an hour out from Tokyo, but that general, that general area. Oh, okay. What, uh, how would you describe, and you'd probably be good answering this since you lived in Japan for so long, mm-hmm. but, uh, the cultural differences between Japan and the United States? Um, it's pretty different. Um, I have to admit, I've been in the U.S. for eight years now. So honestly, it's not, the, the cultural differences is not something that I think about very often anymore. Um, but, uh, I mean, this sounds very stereotypical, but everything is freer in the U.S., Um, people, you know, are all about the individuality, being able to do what you want. Um, people are fiercely individual here in the States. Um, and I love that. I think that's very cool. Um, but in Japan, people, um, are really all about the society, the country, um, and working together. And I actually love that too. I think, you know, like as a, as a, as a country, as a, as a city, um, wherever you are, it just works really great. Um, People are always really polite to you. They're not, they might not be the friendliest to strangers, but Japanese people are always really, really polite, really, really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think generally just, you know, what can I do for society tends to be the basis of how people act over there. Um, So it's a really, it's, it's a really great place to live. Um, It can get a little crowded and it can get a little, it feels a little stricter, a little more binding, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, everywhere has their positives and their negatives, but I love them both. But the main difference is probably the the whole freedom thing, the individuality. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Japan, I, I think was it's up there on my list of places that, you know, I would love to go visit eventually mm-hmm. when the opportunity presents itself. But uh, growing up uh, in Japan, like what what were some of the things that you were into? Like, did you were you a video gamer or what? Like, what were your interests growing up? So I wasn't necessarily a gamer. Um, I actually still don't really consider myself a gamer. I played a lot of games, but nothing um, 
not not very seriously. So I always, um, yeah, I mean, growing up, I had every incarnation of the Game Boy, um, and I had games, but you know, I didn't, I just kind of played them. I didn't really know what was going on. I just kind of played them for the heck of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I like playing games, but I wasn't particularly a gamer. I was really big into manga. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of kids are over there. Um, but I read a lot of shoujo. Um, yeah, you know, the cute little love stories. So that was kind of what I was into. Um, and then as I got into high school, I started to branch out. So, you know, like I, I started reading stuff that's for, you know, for, for boys and for teens and not just the stuff for little girls. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as, as growing up in Japan, that was probably my biggest thing was comics. <laughs> oh, okay. So you grew up in the heart of Nintendo land and you weren't really a gamer. You know, I'm not sure how that even happened. That's crazy. <laughs> I think, you know, like it was just, well, so I, I blame it on, I, I, I started off on the wrong foot when it came to games. So I got a Game Boy for my birthday, I think, what, my sixth birthday, I think? Um, and it was a really big deal. But um, I didn't get any new games. All the games that I got were hand-me-downs for my cousins. So they came already with save files and without any explanation. So I had mm-hmm. no idea what I was really playing. Just curious, what games were they? Oh, so <laughs> um, one of the Mega Mans... We call him Rockman over there, but um, it was it was a Mega Man game. I'm not even sure which one, and that one was way too difficult for me to get anywhere. Yeah, Mega Man was a pretty hard game. <laughs> so I didn't really get into that one. There was a Sailor Moon game that I was really into, and I got pretty far on that one. Um, and then a bunch of like TV, like cartoon tie-in games that weren't that probably weren't very good. Oh, I gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I remember those for the Game Boy. Back yeah, the lots of those. And then um, my parents actually refused to get, my brother and I, I have a younger brother, and my parents refused to get us um, any gaming consoles. So we had Game Boys, but no proper consoles until the PS2. Oh, wow. So it was just, par- partially I just wasn't able to get into games because there was no way for me to play them. Um, I would go to friends' house, houses and we'd play the N64, we'd play Mario 64, and that was great. But, um, yeah, mostly it was just I didn't have games accessible to me growing up. Oh, okay. So, yeah. were you in Japan when the whole uh, Pokemon phase or craze really broke out? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I still remember that. I mean, What was that like over there? Because it, it was even huge here. <laughs> I can't imagine how it was there. Um, I mean, I was still just... I was. I think it was when I was about in the second grade. It it hit when I was when I was pretty young, so I wasn't really aware of what was going on. But before I knew it, everyone had the cards, um, and even if you didn't really know how to play, like I never knew how to play the play the cards really. But we we would all collect them and we have them in the playground. Um, a bunch of people played the games. I actually mm-hmm. did not. I had a Game Boy, but I never played the games. Um, and for me, what I really remember is the TV show. The TV show was huge. Yes. Um, I remember it mostly, though, because the TV show was so big, and I think it happened like Thursday nights, and everyone would go home and watch it. But we had that one seizure episode, and the show just disappeared. 
um you know oh was, yeah i remember hearing about that yeah, yeah i know what you're yeah. talking about it was the um it was an episode i think with porygon mm-hmm. and uh some kids were hospitalized um and it wasn't that kids grew out of pokemon it's that pokemon just disappeared right in the middle of it's kind of kind of its heyday um and uh, I think it disappeared for maybe a year, maybe longer. I'm not sure. But by the time it came back, the craze had kind of died out. Mm-hmm. So I remember I remember it mostly because it was just the overall, the whole thing was kind of a whirlwind. It was very bizarre. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I don't think that episode actually aired here in the States, but there were several episodes of the show that aired in Japan mm-hmm. that didn't make it to the States because they were deemed like too violent or too uh, adult, I guess. Cause I, I remember there was one episode where they went to the safari zone and they didn't show the episode because the warden pointed a gun at Ash's face. Okay. Oh. There were a couple of other ones, but <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, yeah, the censoring for, or I'm sure censoring for TV shows for kids happens in Japan. I'm sure there is, there are some criteria. Um, but shows tend to get away with a lot more over there than they do here. That is definitely for sure. Yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. So when did you decide that you wanted to come to the States for college? Um, I grew up in kind of a special circumstance um, because my, my father is American, or is American. Um, I was put through um, an international school program. So um, the curriculum... Uh, starting, I, I started uh, in kindergarten all the way uh, through senior year of high school. Um, it was one school and the curriculum was a mix of like an American curriculum and a European British curriculum. Um, so I grew up, I went to school speaking English. All my teachers were British or Australian or American. Um, and I, we had a lot of Japanese students and a lot of students like myself who are half Japanese, half something else. Um, and a lot of European American students, but it was generally expected for me all, it was, yeah, like for pretty much as long as I, as far as I can remember, I, it was expected for me to go to college in the States. Um, for what we know was entirely my choice and, and where exactly, but um, yeah, no, I think um, because I went to, because I would have spent, uh, I would have spent 12, 13 years studying in Japan, it was expected for me to graduate and then move to the States uh, for, for my college education. Um, also, because I went to international school, it would have been actually harder for me to try to go to a Japanese college because mm-hmm. the curriculum is so different from a, from a traditional Japanese one. Um, the, like the entrance exams, kind of like our, the Japanese SATs, are totally different than what I would have taken. Mm-hmm. So, um, just kind of by default, actually, it was, I, I, I had always planned to go to an American school. And what made you want to pick uh, Savannah College of Art and Design? Or what, what about that school really jumped out at you? <laughs> so, I had no idea where Savannah was. I actually didn't really know where Georgia was either. Um, I knew it was in the South. But um, I never visited. I didn't really know much about it. But there was a student two years ahead of me who had graduated from my school and had gone or had gone on to SCAD. And so I guess in the way that colleges do, they started sending like posters and kind of like um, like recruitment material to my high school. Um, and 
at the time, actually, um, my parents didn't really want me to pursue. I always want, I always liked art and my parents always knew that, but they didn't particularly want me to pursue art as a career. Um, so really right until the, right until mid senior year, I hadn't really planned on going to art school, but you know, I was kind of in denial. I was looking at other programs to in areas of study. But one day there was just um, in the hallway, uh, there was a poster for SCAD. And it was, um, I think it was just a piece done by one of the photography majors. And it was just, it was just like an up close of a woman who I guess had like, in, like she had, instead of one eye, she had a flower over like her left eye, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't anything particularly special about that poster, but to me, it just, it was just really visually striking. And I was like, okay, well, I really like the way that poster looks. And, you know, it says Savannah College of Art and Design at the bottom. I think I'll look into it. And, you know, it was in this bizarre, exotic place called Savannah, Georgia. Um, the pamphlets made it look like a really pretty place. And, um, they had, just a really massive selection of art, uh, programs animation graphic design sequential art and so yeah that was really all it all it took um I didn't visit I didn't actually know much about it but I applied I got in and I decided to go that's awesome what uh (laughs) what made you want to go into art um for college or just in general just in general Oh, that I have no idea. Um, like, like a lot of artists I've been drawing all of my life. Um, I know because it was something that I was really into, my dad definitely, um, try to help nurture it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm not entirely sure why it was, but I guess I was always artistically inclined. I was always drawing. I was always painting. Um, I kind of tried to grow out of it at around middle school when I thought maybe that, you know, I wouldn't be able to pursue it as a career. And when I started to realize that it might not be very viable, um, but you know, I was still kind of like doodle in class and I always carry, carry a little sketchbook around and my friends kind of, you know, saw that I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. And when you're, you know, when you're in middle school, high school, anything that might be considered remotely cool would become really important to you. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's kind of how I got, you know, got back into it. I gotcha. So how was your time at SCAD? My time was, was pretty great. Um, Savannah itself, the, the, the town itself turned out a little differently than anything that I was used to. Um, Japan is a very safe place overall. The whole country is. Um, you know, I was, I, I'm used to being, able, or I was used to being able to, go out at night on my own and not have to worry about anything. Um, the Savannah can, it's, it's a very beautiful historic city, but there are some neighborhoods that are a little rough. So my experience at SCAD, a lot of it was actually just me coming to terms with life in the States. Um, and just kind of like the culture, the culture shock that comes with it. But, um, the school itself is great. I mean, um, I initially went in hoping to study graphic design, mostly because I didn't really know what specifically uh, I wanted to get into. Um, I knew I liked drawing, but I didn't know what major would really be right for me. So by default, I I chose graphic design. 
Um, but pretty early on in the freshman year, I switched to animation and the animation professors are just fantastic. We had a lot of, um, ex or former uh, Disney animators working there. Um, uh, a lot of like indie animators who really knew their stuff. Um, just, you know, there are a lot of, there are a whole lot of students there. It's a pretty big school and so many of them are so incredibly passionate about what they're doing. So it was, it was a really great experience for me. Yeah, it, it's a really, really nice campus. I didn't go to SCAD, but I actually lived in Georgia for a few months. Okay. And I, I went and looked at SCAD, and it's it's a beautiful campus. It is. I mean, it's a really it's a really unique campus, specifically yes. for like mainly in that. So, um, I was expecting a traditional American, you know, like something that you'd see in a movie type campus. Where there's a quad and everything. It's just kind of like in one, you know, like its own little campus city, I guess. Right. Um, but SCAD is, is pretty much integrated into the, into the city of Savannah itself. You know, there's no central quad or anything. Um, you know, you're out there in the city and, you know, you can just hang out in like the, the historic squares or the little parks. So that's, yeah, I mean like in a very unique way, the campus is, is just gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. It it really is. And it's, it's look makes it really stand out in my opinion. And I think that's what makes it great. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit, um, I was, when I was deciding whether I wanted to go to SCAD or not, I was just looking at the pamphlets and the, and the photos of the buildings and just like the campus was, was a pretty big selling point for me. Um, I think most of SCAD's buildings, um, excluding the dorms are, and even some of the dorms actually are, they're, um, they aren't, they aren't made new they're just reusing old buildings so they just have a very historic feel to them mm-hmm. and, and yeah as such they're just they're just gorgeous yeah yeah I, I totally agree what was your first job that you got once you graduated from SCAD <laughs> oh my goodness um I won't name the studio but it was um a motion graphics studio in Charlotte North Carolina um and it was, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I learned a lot about just um, being a working artist, I guess, just in general. Um, it was a very, it was a very small studio. Um, the the creative director um, pretty much handled everything. I was I, I went in as an intern and then kind of got hired um, on a freelance basis after that. Um, but I would still go into the the studio every day. Um, so there was the creative director, myself, the office manager, and then one other 3d artist. So it was a very small, small, small studio. Um, we handled, um, let's see, we handled, um, like television commercials, radio spots, um, a lot of kind of, uh, when you're, let's see, this is Charlotte, North Carolina, and there's a, there's a really big NASCAR um, office there. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's actually headed in Charlotte, but one of the main NASCAR offices is in Charlotte. So we handled a lot of motion graphics for them specifically. So if you're watching like the Indy 500, um, you know, the little, the little wipes that would happen across the screen saying the Indy 500 sponsored by whoever, whoever, like that was done by us. Um, Oh, cool. So I actually did not get to handle any of it. Um, it was all done by the creative director, director and the uh, 3D artist. I was in charge of um, actually my first. Yeah, like um, I didn't really work as an animator. I worked as the illustrator and graphic designer and web designer. 
Um, so I designed the websites, the newsletters, and the stuff that went went around that way. So my work was not quite what I wanted to do, um, but it was a really great first job. Um, it was still art related, and it was just a really great uh, just learning experience, first world experience. Did you guys do any video work? Um, yes, actually. Um, the creative director was not an animator. He was, um, an editor. So he, um, yeah, he, he actually specialized in taking live action footage and splicing it together, um, and all that stuff. I actually am not too familiar with that field. Um, and he actually, well, partially cause I didn't have anything to do with me. So he didn't really explain what he was doing, but we did handle that. Yeah. I, I, I do video stuff myself, so. That as I was just curious. That as that's really cool. That, something, something like that. I wouldn't mind doing. I mean, working in films ultimately, what I want to do. But you know, something like that isn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that that's kind of why I went. Was um, I I wanted to go to North Carolina specifically. Um, and Charlotte was a very nice town, and I had um, I knew some people there. So I knew it was it wouldn't be too far from Georgia. It wouldn't be a massive move. Um, straight out of college, I couldn't I couldn't afford to move very far. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charlotte seemed like a good fit. Um, and yeah, I mean, even though I went into kind of a graphic design web design role, um, the studio itself was a creative studio, studio um, and did a lot of art and editing type stuff. So it was. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, again, it was a really great learning experience. And what the, the, the work they did was was very cool. Yeah, the, the Carolinas are both really nice to visit, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, I, I've only been a handful of times, but especially going during the summer, because it, it's a lot, is I'll say it's a lot warmer uh, in Florida than it is in North Carolina or South Carolina mm-hmm. during the summer. And, and you've got the mountains and everything, so... Right. Just can't be, it's a very relaxing atmosphere. It is. I haven't actually spent any time um, in South Carolina. I think Hilton Head Beach is technically in South Carolina, but it was within driving distance from Savannah. So over the weekends, we would go as students um, just to hang out. Right. So I think technically I have spent time in South Carolina, but not anything significant. significant. Um, North Carolina, though, I mean, from, from what I saw, I lived there for a year. And it was, I mean, it's a, it's a really beautiful state. The people are so friendly, um, but that's kind of a Southern thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, um, it got really, for me, it got really hot in the summer. It's probably, I mean, I bet it's hotter in Florida, but winters are beautiful. Um, summers are also great. And springtime was pretty much the best season there. So it was, I mean, all around a great place to live. Yeah. Spring and fall are great. Uh, summer can get pretty bad and, um, this past winter we actually had, uh, it was either record or really close to record lows, uh, in January and February. We actually had a really big ice storm really? here and nobody knew how to react to it. Like the roads were covered in ice, <laughs> uh, and it, it was, it was just crazy. And I, I remember seeing on the news, this guy was, uh, helping another guy with his truck that was stuck on the ice. Like the, there was no, he couldn't get any traction on his tires. Right. And the guy that was helping him was wearing like shorts, flip flops (laughs) and a tank top. And the, 
he got interviewed by our local news, and they asked him, why are you dressed like that? And he said, oh, I'm from Wisconsin. This is like summertime to me. <laughs> oh, uh, that's I was cool. like, oh, fair enough. <laughs> Whatever works, I guess. Yeah, but it, it's, it was interesting to, to go through that ice storm. Like, I, I've never been through anything that was that cold, because I've never been up north, mm-hmm. or any, like really any northern states I've never been to. So that was... That was pretty interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that was pretty what, crazy. Yeah. So from there, is that when you went to Oregon? Yes, it is. Again, that's where you started working at uh, Disney Interactive, correct? Yes. And how was that? My experience there was just fantastic. Um, it it actually all kind of happened completely by accident. Um. I had friends in Portland, Oregon, um, while I was in, yeah, while I was living in Charlotte and Portland seemed like a cool city and I kind of wanted to move to that area. So I started looking for game studios. I just went, you know, took to the internet, looked for game studios, Portland. Um, mm-hmm. cause by that point I kind of, I, I kind of started wanting to work in video games. Um, and a, a small studio came up. In a, in a town or a city that I didn't recognize, but the internet told me it was within the vicinity of Portland. So I just kind of took their word for it. And um, the, the, the studio was called Push Button Labs. Um, and they were hiring. They were hiring an animator. Um, they were doing uh, Facebook games. And so I got in touch with them. And they, by that point, decided that they didn't uh, want to hire uh, anyone anymore but they wanted to give me freelance work. So I was disappointed, but you know, the freelance work was great. So I started taking on that. Um, after I think it was three months of freelancing for them, they just kind of emailed me and they're like, Hey, so we actually work in conjunction with, um, a Disney interactive studio here, here in Oregon. Um, and they wanted, they want to take you on as an animator. And I had no idea, I had no idea that push button work with Disney Interactive. Um, and it, it seemed like an amazing opportunity. So I was like, of course, that sounds amazing. And so next thing I know, I'm, I'm in Oregon working for Disney. And uh, what, what specifically like, did you do animation wise for them? Like, I guess, what specific projects did you work on? So I was with uh, Disney Interactive for actually, I was just, yeah. Just for three, yeah, for three years exactly, pretty much. Um, and we did Facebook games. The game that I was able to uh, work on from development to launch and um, and live ops was this game called Disney City Girl. Um, it's 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 actually it's a really it's a really cute game. We worked on it for for pretty for yeah like for two years. So we poured our souls into it, but um, it's. Uh, it's basically Sims for specifically for for women. So you play as a as a girl who's just moving into New York City and trying to make it, and you pick up a career and um, just kind of work your way up. So it's a it's a dress up career apartment decorating kind of game. And it's like a social media game. Oh yeah, it's it's only on Facebook. Um, it never actually went to mobile, um, and I think. Um, yeah, I mean, we hit peak DAUs of 1 million users, over a million users. Um, the game nice. is, 
Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And the game is more than a year old now for which for Facebook is actually pretty old. And we're still I mean, we're still hitting those numbers. So it's um, it's it's a game that's that's making, um, you know, it's 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 no Farmville, but it's actually doing doing really well. And it's got a really committed core uh I guess player base, which is really cool. And all, all our players are just really into it. So <laughs> it's been a pretty exciting project. Um, and uh, let's see for city girl specifically, I was, um, I was hired as an animator. Um, I was the only animator. So um, we would have 3d modelers kind of cr create props and, you know, create the avatar and pretty much every animation that you see in city girl was done by myself. Um, Eventually, we took on contract artists, and um, I moved kind of into uh, uh, a, a management role, just kind of like um, delegating tasks to these out-of-house out of artists. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually, it wasn't just my work anymore. Um, but yeah, that was my role with, with Disney and with City Girl. Yeah, that that's really cool that, you know, a year later, it's still getting huge numbers because I... I Using Facebook, you always see these new games mm -hmm. that are popping up, and it seems like it happens on a regular basis. And, you know, Farmville has kind of been the, I guess, the standard bearer for longevity mm -hmm. when it comes to social media games. So for that game to still be huge after over a year is pretty fantastic. It is. It is really interesting. Our game was kind of um, an oddball in a lot of ways. Um Facebook games, it was just kind of generally accepted by the social social gaming industry that, you know, a game will come out um, and pretty much like when it launches is when it hits its peak. So, um, you know, like a month or two after launch is when the game is uh, is generating the most revenue, um, taking bringing in um, the most players. And then after that, everything is just kind of, um, it just, it just peak or just, you know, kind of winds down. And- right. But the game is trying to, I guess, trying to prolong the winding down period for as long as possible until the game no longer becomes a viable source of revenue. Um, right. But for City Girl, actually, um, we we hit pretty good numbers right after launch, but it was kind of a slow boil. Um, and so already it was kind of it was kind of different in the way that it was uh, bringing in money and bringing in players. Um, and then, um, even, and, and obviously, um, it's, it is inevitable. Like we're not bringing in the same numbers uh, or a number of new players as when we were brand new, but, um, our, I guess our winding down period has been actually, um, pretty steady and not really a winding down period at all. And so now, I mean, our goal has been basically to see, um, you know, not not to accept like, oh, you know, this game is a year old now. We're just going to let it wind down. But to actually see if we can actively keep up the good numbers, actively keep the players engaged and, um, you know, see if we can do it differently. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly what you guys should be doing. It is. I mean, and it's we, we see the response in the players. They're always really happy to, um, to see that we're not just milking the game anymore. We're, st we're not, yeah, like we're actively trying to create new content, you know, see what the players want. Um, it's, it's been pretty gratifying. Yeah. You mentioned that you worked at Disney for 
exactly three years, but what are you doing with your career now? Oh, so um, I no longer I am no longer with Disney Interactive. I'm with a studio called Rock You, um, and they are another social uh, social and mobile game studio. Actually, social games. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. What um, uh, like what kind of social games? So I'm still working on City Girl, but we are no longer called Disney City Girl. We are we are called uh, City Girl Life. Um, Disney sold City Girl to Rock You. Rock You acquired it and uh, many of its employees. Um, or many of its team, I guess. Um, and we are still working on keeping that up. Um, so that's, that's where I am, um, at the moment. Um, I was taking on some, some freelance work before I got picked up at Rock U. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I actually, I, I'm pretty passionate about working in games. Um, just something about the smaller team sizes that, that come in the social and mobile gaming production seems to work really well with me. You have, you know, more contact with the art director, more contact with the team. Um, and just a little more, a creative say, you know, you, you own your work a little more and you own a little more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually really happy with, with being in, I guess the social and mobile gaming production. Well, that's the goal in life is to find something that you like doing and get paid for it. <laughs> it's it's a pretty good deal, I have to admit. And uh, the, really, one of the last things I wanted to ask you, and uh, Matt Doring, our mutual contact, pointed this mm-hmm. out to me because he gave me a list of people that would be good to interview on the show. Mm-hmm. He said that you are big into uh, superhero stuff. <laughs> um, I am, yes. <laughs> what uh, like what specific ones? So I'm always a little cautious to start prattling off about comics um, and superheroes. I, I'm one, I'm a huge geek, so it's perfectly that's, fine. No, no, that's exactly the problem. Is I'm still really just getting into it. Um, oh, oh, okay, okay, I gotcha. <laughs> so I dabbled in high school um, when I was in Japan. Um, if you, I had to go to a bookstore that was really like a half hour away by by train. Um, I had to go to a very specific bookstore, but they sold X-Men and, um, they were crazy expensive because they were imported. But so, you know, for a high schooler, it was kind of a big, a a big splurge, but I I read some X-Men back in high school. Um, it was, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really, I didn't really understand American comics at the time. Um, I'm used to Japanese comics where it's one story told by one person, you know, it's got a finite run and then, you know, you move on to the next story, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all new. Um, so I didn't really understand the nature of American superhero comics. Um, so I would pick up these issues, but really kind of just look at it for the art and not really understand what was going on with the story. Um, oh gosh. When I, when I was reading them very casually, it was, I can't remember which run of X-Men it was, but basically Havoc was um, about to marry Lorna Polaris and freaks out and doesn't do it. And it becomes a big problem. Um, Mm. I didn't really understand who these characters were. (laughs) So it was a very, it was a very brief affair. Um, But I always really wanted to get into it a little more seriously. I just never really had the means to do so. Um, And now I'm just kind of going back into it. Um, so I'm starting to, I'm, I'm going out and buying comics and it's, it's been a lot of fun. 
But um, I got into X-Men specifically because I was really, really big on X-Men Evolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the TV show. that It somehow made its way to Japan. It was an um, underrated show, honestly. It's it's a fantastic show, and they just have it. Um, they they have season one on Netflix, and they have all the seasons on Hulu. And I just started rewatching it just to see if it holds up because I was really all about it back in high school. Um, and I'd say it holds up. So that was yeah, like X Men Evolution was my intro to American superheroes. Um, and yeah, now I'm yeah I'm going into the comics and all that, and it's been pretty exciting. Well, who uh, who are some of your favorite X Men? <laughs> So, okay, my all-time favorite is Kitty Pride. Um, she's, I think she's the coolest, you know, like she's, she's not your typical, you know, brawler, superpowered, mm-hmm. um, superhero, you know, she, her, her abilities are, oh, I guess, I mean, she uses it to fight, but they're, they're not quite as flashy. They're not as, they're not, a, they're not as aggressive, um, but, you know, she's she's smart in her own right, and she knows how to use her power as well. Um, and she tends to have some pretty compelling storylines, I think. So I like her probably the most. Um, I love Storm, but I have a feeling I like her because she's just got, she's a, just a really great visual design. Um, Mohawk Storm, I think, is just a fantastic character to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I think they're doing a, an all-new, just like a solo storm comic now um yes they are yeah i I picked up the first issue i don't think the second one's out yet um so i'm doing that um and let's see um oh oh that's right um because i I really didn't know anything about the any of the avengers um until the movies like a lot of other people but um i found i just kind of stumbled upon uh, journey to mystery featuring the lady sif Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a really short run, but I got really into that. I picked it up. Um, I went to New York recently, and one of the comic stores recommended it to me when I was there. Um, so I got really into that. So Lady Sif is pretty amazing. She's definitely up there and one of my favorites. Yeah, she she's a really really good female character. I think she is. Um, I don't. I haven't read anything else of hers to make me feel like she's been. Uh, featured as quite as prominently as she was with uh, journey into mystery. But mm-hmm. I would love to read as much of her as I possibly can because I, I love her. I think she's a really great character. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I had this random thought because you had mentioned Netflix mm-hmm. one. They recently put the original Pokemon anime on there and I watched the first season and it's just as corny as I remember it <laughs> Two And you may be able to answer this since you grew up in Japan. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch what Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was based off of? Like the original Japanese show? So I know I did, but I don't actually remember watching it. I was really, really young. Um, but I remember, oh gosh, I don't know her name, but the main bad guy with the crazy like horns. For her, she looks kind of like Maleficent. but Rita Repulsa. That one. <laughs> I remember her and I remember, I mean, some of the monsters, I guess. I, I know I watched it because I had the toys, but I really don't remember anything of the show. Yeah, I, I didn't know until I was older that for the American version, they actually used footage from a Japanese show. 
But whenever I found out, I'm like, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> I don't know why, but it made absolute sense. It was, it was really bizarre because I didn't know that's what happened in the U.S. Um, until I went to college and just, you know, a bunch of friends are sitting around and someone mentions the Power Rangers. So we start watching some episodes on YouTube. Um, and that's when I realized, I'm like, oh, you're just splicing like Japanese footage and original <laughs> American footage together. And it was, it, I mean, like, I guess the kids loved it because it was successful. But to me, I mean, and also, I mean, to, to everyone else, like as adults, it just looked like the most absurd thing. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, like the, the voiceovers was were, were just awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really were. I guess were. poor Rita, because she was, I mean, she was in the Japanese shows. Um, so, yeah, it was. It was a really bizarre concept. It was kind of it's kind of amazing that that it even was made, I guess, in that way. Yeah, because I mean, when you're a kid, you don't really think about that kind of stuff. You just think, oh, here are these cool teenagers in costumes fighting monsters. You don't care about the production value or the voiceovers or anything. Right. But yeah, that's actually on Netflix as well. And I watched the first season and it's it's extremely dated. But mm-hmm. I I still love it just because it's one of those things that I grew up watching. <laughs> it's, it's it's very very nineties. I might have to give it a watch. I am currently like a lot of other people on the internet right now. I am doing I'm rewatching Sailor Moon um, on Hulu. And See, I, I never I never got into Sailor Moon. I never I don't watched think it. You would have. It was definitely a girl thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um. That show, the the original actually still, it's I mean it's you know it's it's cheesy it's it's definitely for little girls but I don't know if it's the nostalgia but I'm definitely enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, I uh, I never really watched anime growing up until I think let's see I was how old was I? It had to have been after I graduated high school was when I watched. Dragon Ball Z for the first time because they started releasing the full seasons on DVD and a friend of mine grew up a huge DBZ fan and he's like you've got to watch this you'll love it like I don't know I never really watched anime as a kid they're like just trust me you'll love it and I watched the first season and I thought it was great so like with, with you and Sailor Moon I never watched Dragon Ball because when I was a kid Dragon Ball was for boys and Sailor right, Moon yeah. was for girls so I never actually watched it but um I think it was Dragon Ball Z or no Dragon Ball Kai I guess is that what came out recently it's, a, it's like it's remastered it's remastered yes. all the yeah, drag, Dragon Ball Z Kai Yeah apparently that's really good so maybe maybe that that should be my my foray into Dragon Ball yeah, I need to watch that as well. I've actually never watched the original Dragon Ball where Goku's a kid. I've seen yeah. I've seen Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball GT, but not uh, uh, not Dragon Ball, which they actually just released the new animated movie, uh, Battle of Gods. It's been out in Japan for forever, I think, but they just released it here in the states actually today. Interesting. Yeah, I I don't know if I'll be able to go watch it in theaters, but I'll I'll definitely get it when it comes out on DVD or gotcha. comes out on Netflix or whatever. <laughs> Cuz yeah, no, I think um I did I do remember actually trying to kind of get into Dragon Ball as a kid because it would be on TV at a convenient time. Mm-hmm. But um, my problem, I I guess not just with Dragon Ball but with most things cuz you know, I I still love my my superheroes and my comics and all that. But um 
My problem is, is that I enjoy the quiet moments, the peaceful moments in these, like, I, I like superheroes in quiet moments, just living their life. Um, and that's the part that that's the part of comics and TV shows that I love the most. Um, but the problem is, you know, because, because of the material that tends to be like the, the short, the briefest moments of an episode or a comic run. <laughs> yeah. So, Dragon Ball, there's a, there's kind of a, a barrier there, but definitely worth checking out, I think. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the quiet moments. That's a lot of times that's where you really get to know the character when they just kind of take a step back from everything. Right, that's right. The, to me, that's where you really learn like what that character is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, that, that's really why I latched on so hard to um, X-Men Evolution, because I love seeing these characters using their powers and getting, you know, like doing some crazy good action. But it was mostly about how these how these kids live their lives. Like, you know, it was it was basically a high school drama. And that's, you know, like that juxtaposition was what I really got into. Um, mm -hmm. So there is something about that that I really do enjoy. And it's just, just great for character development. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. But the last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have any uh, social media you'd like to plug, like maybe for your artwork or something like that? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm on pretty much everything. Um, I'm on Twitter. I use that a lot. Um, I'm at Cherapoo, so C-H-A-R-A-P-O-O. -O. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Um, and through there, um, you'll find my Instagram, my Tumblr, um, I use the same name for everything. So you find one and you'll find the rest. Um, as far as plugging goes though, I've actually got some pretty exciting things down the line that I wanted to, uh, take the opportunity if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Um, but, um, I'm doing a lot of art shows, um, that's coming up very soon. Um, and I'm sure they would appreciate me talking about that a little bit. Um, I'm participating in an Iron Giant mini tribute show that's happening, um, at this place called a little, little known shop. Um, down in Anaheim, um, a bunch of really amazing artists are, con are contributing pieces based on the great movie, um, Iron Giant. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's happening in September. Um, so if you're into that, I think that's definitely worth checking out. Um, I'm also participating in, I'm, or I'm uh, donating a piece uh, to a show called The Art of Fighting. Um, that's happening at the Metropolis Comic Art Gallery that's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, and that's also happening in September. It's for a really great cause. Um, uh, all the artists are donating pieces. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, if I think we're, we're all doing art, you know, just, um, based on whatever fighting game we're really passionate about. So if you're into fighting games, I think that's definitely worth checking out. Um, and then, um, <laughs> All these shows are happening in September for some reason, but um, I'm doing this thing called the Dream Arcade with Light Gray Art Lab. Um, they're in Minneapolis, so none of these shows are happening in my area. But um, basically, a bunch of artists um, just were tasked with creating a side-scrolling eight-bit uh, pixel art game level. Um, awesome. Yeah, I mean it's fantastic. Besides that, there were there were no there are no limitations on what we can do. So people have come up with some really fantastic stuff. So if you're into games, if you're into that whole old school look, I would definitely check out Dream Arcade by Light Gray Art Lab. Um, and then I am participating or helping organize uh, Powerpuff Girls Zine 
called Splendidly Evil. The theme is the villains of the Powerpuff Girls because there are some really great ones. Um, and that will be, I mean, we have a, we have a Tumblr. Um, the artwork is starting to come in for that. It's still in production. But I'm pretty, pretty excited, pretty passionate about that one. So if you're in a Powerpuff Girls, I would definitely check out Splendidly Evil. That's awesome. That's really cool that you've got all that stuff coming up. That's <laughs> really, really cool. It keeps me busy. Thank you for letting me plug them. Oh, no problem. No problem. But uh, thank you very much, Sarah, for, for coming on the show. This was really fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is really, really great. And that's it for this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. Thank you, Sarah, once again for coming on for that really fun conversation. And next week, we'll be looking into, once again, the world of filmmaking with Carrie Hunter. So definitely tune in for that. And don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at DDiamondExp. Like us on Facebook at The Derek Diamond Experience. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Derek underscore Diamond. And that'll do it. See you guys next week.